This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 224. Here we go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he plays Minecraft with his six-year-old son, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and, and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use, and one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be, because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting, and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host, and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to, and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, if, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're, they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today. This is session 224 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. And it's definitely gonna be worth your time because we are speaking with longtime educator and best-selling author, uh, Mark Barnes, who is from the Hack Learning series. You can find him at hacklearning.org. He has a podcast also, is uh, just a book with a ton of people following his every step because he, being a popular keynote speaker and education presenter, he, he's helping people figure out how to teach better. Uh, so at hacklearning.org, you can learn about him and his team and all that they're doing, but we're gonna be talking about some interesting parallels between uh, how he's been able to help fix education and, and what he's doing to help fix education and helping teachers with their students and helping them make a bigger impact and how that can actually translate into what all of us are doing online through our blogs, through our podcasts, through our courses. There's a lot of similarities there, obviously, because we're trying to teach people and we also need to know how we can best reach those on the other end who are taking action, be it our students or people who are taking our courses or what have you. So we're gonna get right into this interview with Mark Barnes from hacklearning.org. Here we go. Hey, what's up everybody, Pat here. Uh, I'm here with Mark Barnes from hacklearning.org and Hack Learning Books and Hack Learning Podcasts. Mark, what, what is this hack learning thing? We're gonna get into all that, but first of all, Mark, just thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. Hey, Pat, I'm really thrilled to be on. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, uh, you know, hack learning, gets, sometimes it gets a, a bad rap. You know, people are used to the, the word hack or hackers having a negative connotation and, uh, I'd like to think that we're trying to 
put the positive in hacking. We're, we're hacking learning by uh, taking professionals and looking at problems through a different lens. So we've got educators, you know, teachers, school leaders, thought leaders uh, who look at problems in ways that most people don't and take mm-hmm. a look at all kinds of assets and say, how can we hack these? How can we put them together in ways that other people aren't doing? And that's what we're up to. I love that. I think there's definitely this trend as of late to think of hacking in a good way. You know, a lot of people, uh, I think even, you know, FBI agents have hired hackers so that they can better understand what's going on to fight the bad hackers, I guess you could say. And, you know, maybe we're not talking about that kind of hacking here, but I think hacking is great because it's sort of a shortcut to doing certain things. And for all of us who are building businesses online and learning and educating others, you know, if we know how to do it the better way, then that's going to be a win for everybody. So I think we're going to definitely talk about that today. But I also want to just give a shout out to Monica Blichar, who is the one who actually connected us on Twitter. She had randomly tweeted me or at replied me. She said, at Mark Barnes 19, which is your Twitter handle, have you been on Pat Flynn's podcast? And that's kind of how we started this conversation. I just want to thank you, Monica, and thank everybody else out there who has uh, just referenced or referred people to me. I mean, this is how we find the best guests here on the show. So uh, thank you, Monica. And Mark, thanks again for taking the time to be here today. So before we get into learning and hacking and that kind of thing, just talk about kind of what were you doing before? What What is it that you uh, – uh, no, and and why did you get into what you're doing? Yeah, well, I'm an I'm an educator, you know, I, and I have been most of my life. I was a classroom teacher in both middle school and high school for oh about 23 years, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I had this sort of interesting evolution as a teacher. And in the beginning of my career, for a long time, probably a decade or more, I was very sort of old school and you know, uh, my way or the highway guy, sort of militant and and lived by the textbook and the workbook and all of that. And, uh, I, you know, it just struck me. I sort of had an epiphany at the end of a school year when my kids were hating me and failing. And I said, man, there's got to be a better way. And uh, anyways, I just spent a summer, you know, sort of uh, reflecting and researching, grabbing everything I could that would help me uh, see education through a different lens. And I think that's sort of what ultimately got me to where I am now with hack learning. I, I learned that there's different ways to educate kids and people in general. And I sort of rebuilt myself as a teacher. And that ultimately uh, changed everything for me and for my students and led me to write a few books and uh, got me to create my own publishing company where now we, we sort of take that idea and we've created hack learning. It's a a better way. I love it. And hacklearning.org is the website, and you have a number of books there, like you said, a podcast as well. What are some of these books about specifically? Well, the the primary audience, I would say, is educators or people who are – we call them education stakeholders. So I think a lot of parents read the books too to discuss better ways with their teachers or principals where their kids go to school. So um, we have – the first book in this series is called Hacking Education – 10 Quick Fixes for Every School, and uh, I'm the co-author of that book. That's the only one in the series that I've actually written, and uh, I wrote that uh, with someone named Jennifer Gonzalez, who uh, is is now an education entrepreneur. Uh, She's a big fan of yours, Pat. She she writes a blog called Cult of Pedagogy, so she's very much in the same lane, sort of, what can I do to make teaching and learning better? And uh, she and I had a, a fascinating talk. We got connected 
through, you know, the blog world and Twitter and ultimately Voxer, a really cool, you know, communication tool. And we just started talking about how, how can we fix some of the big problems? First, what are the problems that we were hearing in our networks? And we said, man, there's got to be a way to fix this. And the next thing you know, our conversation and brainstorming turned into 10 problems and 10 quick fixes and hacking education was born. And from there, the whole hack learning series. So beyond that, now we've hacked assessment, we're hacking leadership, writing, uh, just all kinds of things. We've got great stuff coming. That's great. What are some of those big problems that you're seeing in education that then you talk about in that book? Well, you know, one thing is um, we, we don't tackle the the global concerns, you know, the uh, standardization. I mean, we do have a book on the Common Core and standardization, but in that book, we're not we're not covering that. We're not covering, you know, poverty and we're not solving those kinds of problems. What we're looking at are the everyday problems that educators and school leaders face. So, you know, one of them, for example, is is time. Time is a very precious commodity for educators. And they'll all tell you, you know, we don't have enough of it mm. uh, with all of the things that happen in a given day. And then, you know, we, we started talking about that even in the business world. You know, you think about what people do in the private sector. Time is very precious. We're consumed with meetings, both as educators and in the business world. It's always a meeting. And we said, you know, in today's world, we shouldn't have to meet face to face all the time. We could very easily look at the assets that we have, the incredible technology, cloud-based uh, platforms, and we could place information in those places, and then we could use back channels like Twitter and Voxer to carry on the conversation about whatever we the agenda is. And uh, we don't always have to meet face-to-face. So that's one. In fact, that's hack one in the book. We call it uh, Meet Me in the Cloud. And we talk about how we can really eliminate almost all face-to-face meetings with the amazing tools that we have um, in the digital world today. I love that. And for everybody out there listening, I want you to think about how often you meet with other people in person, whether you have a nine to five or you're an entrepreneur and you have a team, uh, even meeting in person on Skype, that still does take time and uh, away from other things that you could be doing. I know personally that I remember when I was in in the nine to five job uh, working as an architect, it just seemed like there were meetings every day and they were just a complete waste of time. And, you know, I know that if we had a little bit more technology like we do today, we might have been able to solve a lot of those problems. But I think a lot of us just have to be conscious about that first. That's the first step. And so you had mentioned a tool called Voxer, which I actually got familiar with when I came on board as an advisor for lead pages. Clay Collins, the CEO there, he told me to get on Voxer because that's how we would communicate. And I didn't understand because I never had heard of that before. But now after using it for over a couple of years now, uh, or, or over a year, actually, it's been amazing because we can leave these great voicemails and it's on our own time. It's sort of like texting, but with your voice, but it's it's very organized. And uh, we also use Slack. I don't know if you've heard of Slack, Mark, but uh, yeah. Slack has just been an amazing tool to cut out those one-to-one in-person meetings, uh, group meetings, but also email. Email is also a big time suck for people too. So uh, I love that you're mentioning tools already. People who are listening to this show love those tools. I think if you have a team and you want to talk voice-to-voice, Voxer, V-O-X-E-R, is a great one to use. Um, what are some of the other problems uh, besides the sort of meeting times, which is definitely a big one. I think that does save people a lot of time. What are some other things that um, you know you found to be a problem? How do we solve them? Yeah, well, when in hacking education, we wanted to really um, take problems that, that face 
teachers, classroom teachers, where they walk in every day going, oh, man, how am I going to handle this today? And they keep cropping up. Mm-hmm. You know, some things that we look at as simple, like classroom management, that's one that comes up all the time. There's so many issues with classroom management. So we said, well, there's got to be a really easy way to build rapport with kids. So we looked at various ways and, and not all technology. You know, we're talking about technology and I think it's, an, it's great to do. I think we have to look at the digital tools that make us better. Mm-hmm. But the one thing about hack learning is it isn't always about the digital tools. We want to also say, well, if someone doesn't have immediate access to, you know, uh, the Internet or social media or something like, like Twitter or Voxer, let's give them another way. So um, one of the things we do is we, we talk about collecting data that isn't the traditional data. It's not the testing data. We said, what if we collect data on the whole child? And uh, so one of the hacks we call the 360 spreadsheet. You can write it on a sheet of paper or you could actually create it on a spreadsheet on a computer if you wanted to. And basically what we do is put categories in there that are more about people than they are about learning. And, uh, you know, this isn't one of the things about hack learning is it isn't all brand new. Some of it is we're taking things that have already existed and and we're sort of wiping off some of the dust and making them a little better. What teachers used to do, and and I think maybe some still do, is they would start their school year and and distribute note cards, index cards, and hand those to the kids and ask them to, to write a little bit about themselves. I did it many years ago, decades ago. And then Invariably, what happens is you take those cards and you stuff them aside and you really never see them anymore and you're too busy with everything else to use them. Mm-hmm. What the 360 spreadsheet does is it's a, it's a quick reference. You, you do collect that information from the kids and you could do it on an index card or notebook or on a cloud-based system. And then all you do is you set it up like a chart and you put the kids' names down and you have your categories like recreation. What, what do you do for recreation? What are your hobbies? Uh, how many siblings do you have? What's unique that most people don't know about you? And what happens is you have this sheet in front of you with a group of kids and you've learned a ton about them. And that really helps with rapport. We tend in education to go about classroom management the wrong way. You know, the old carrot and stick. You know, we set up the rules and say, if you do this wrong, you're going to get this punishment. Well, what we've learned by talking to great educators all over the world is that the the best way to manage your classroom is to get to know kids. And once you build rapport with them, they tend to be a whole lot less of a problem because they like you and they like the way you run your classroom. They like the fact that they see you as more as a someone who just dispenses information, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe as a mentor and a friend. And again, you know, I, I think this is one of those things that you can carry into the private sector. And this is what I personally love about hack learning is even though our primary audience is educators, I think so many of the hacks are really good for the private sector too, because when you think of small business, wouldn't it be great if you got to know everyone who worked for you in that personal way? Because you think of the rapport you can build and the close relationships you can build. And when you can do that, you've got people who will run into the wall for you. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I and my team, we do a good job of keeping each other informed on things outside of business, on what we're up to, who's getting married, where we're going on vacation, what we've been up to, and we just kind of have that kind of culture. And that definitely makes the entire company grow and just 
be in a better mood most of the time. So I, I definitely agree. And that's why I wanted you here, Mark, because a lot of these things that relate specifically to education um, in, in the way that you're teaching and for your primary audience can definitely relate to what we're doing too. In terms of people out there who are listening who have courses, for example, who have their own students who may not be in a classroom setting, um, that many of them are virtual. Uh, I think one of the big problems that we face as educators online is just people don't always take the action that they need to take. They have the content there in front of them. They sign up for these courses, many spending hundreds if not thousands of dollars yet not being completely motivated to go through the coursework for whatever reason. What are some things that you've learned through your years of teaching, through hack learning that we can use to make or help our students, the people taking our courses, actually do the work that that they need to do? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I think that, uh, and you know, I do some teaching online as well. So I've encountered exactly what you just said, Pat, that idea that, you know, people maybe access information and, and then they don't come back to it. You know, I, I uh, teach some courses online that run for nine weeks and someone will sign up three weeks before the course starts. And then you're in the ninth week and I've never heard from them. You know, and, and a lot of times it's scrambling. It's like, okay, what do I do now? Uh, and then in the classroom, it's the same thing. You know, you give kids a project or something and they say, okay, I'm going to do that later. They push it off. They forget about it. What I have found that really works best is to find multiple ways to engage. So in, in the online world, you know, we've, we've been talking about it already, the idea of the back channel. And a lot of people don't truly grasp the concept of the back channel, but there are so many of them now. And, uh, you know, we're sitting here and we're rattling off Twitter, Vox or Slack. There's so many ways to communicate. What I have really tried to do is, is first of all, may, maybe I don't focus on every single one, but I do try to be active on most of the, the popular social networks. And I want to give students an option to connect with me in a variety of ways. So, you know, some people just like email and that's right. It's old school, even though it's in the digital world, you know, it's still kind of old school. But I say, you know, that's fine. You can reach out to me through email. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm always on Twitter. So I tell all of my students and even when I was still in the classroom with younger kids, even middle schoolers, you know, they're they love social media. And when you would give them an opportunity to connect with you in a space that they're very comfortable with then, uh, you know, you can constantly stay connected and you can remind them, you know, well, we've got this coming up or we're working on this. Or if they're struggling, hey, I'm, I'm on this project and I don't get this or that. They can't see you face to face, but they can reach out to you and know that they can contact you through one of those back channels. Uh, I ran a website for my classes and, and now in the online world for uh, older people, um, teachers are really my students now, I do the same thing. And there's always a space where you can communicate, whether it's a chat room or uh, just a, a comment section on an assignment. Mm -hmm. There's always something. And then I get pinged with an, an alert that someone has communicated with me. And it creates sort of that 24-7 feel. And I think that connection is really what keeps learners engaged. That's cool. I like that. What if, or do you have anything in place to get notified or keep track of those who aren't taking action? Because sometimes they slip through the slip through our fingers, or we just don't even notice. Um, and those are the people who need the help the most. Yeah, that that's a great point too. And you know, I think it, it's sort of a, a two pronged approach. Uh, I have a system in place where uh, on on the course site that I use. 
and I use a, a platform called Kajabi, for example, for one. And there's so many out there, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not promoting any one over another. I'm just saying that this is one that I use. And what's great about it is it has uh, a system set up on the back end where you can go in and it will show you automatically in a column next to all of your registered people when they have last interacted with content. So, you know, what you're saying is true. We tend to really focus on those who are engaged and who are connected. And I think the two systems work together. If I'm constantly getting pinged on a back channel by, you know, someone who's taking a course of mine, I know who's engaged right away. I'm thinking I I know this person because they're always hitting me on Twitter or Voxer or somewhere. And then you sort of think, well, what about these other people that I'm not hearing from? And that's when I think you need a tool where you can go in on the backside and see, okay, when did they last engage? And then with, um, you know, my online system, I can then right from that system when I see that they haven't been in the content in maybe a week or five days or whatever, I can right from there shoot them a message that they will get alerted in their email and it'll say, hey, Mark Barnes has communicated with you. And that's really important to do. And a lot of times, you know, you find that people have really legitimate reasons. They're not not just blowing off the work. Even kids, you know, I used to say that a lot. We, you know, you'd hear from colleagues who'd say, well, this kid never does anything. And I said, you know, have you connected with that kid to find out why he's not doing it? And I think it's it's true for adults too. You know, I hear some people that, like I said earlier, they get into a course early and they kind of forget about it because we've got busy lives. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh yeah, that's right. Boy, I'm really glad you reached out to me. And that goes back to that whole relationship building too, which is so important. Right, it's absolutely huge. And when people see that you're actually taking the time to consider where they're at and maybe help them out, I mean, it just speaks so highly of why you're doing what you're doing and they're gonna be more of a fan. They're maybe gonna hopefully take action, but it, if not, they're going to share you with others because they trust you. They know that you're in it for the right reasons. Yeah, that's a big one. I, I think, again, relationships, you know, you just yep. almost can't say the word enough. Mm-hmm. It's great. To, and I've had people who, you know, maybe signed up for a course and didn't take it. And then months later, someone came back to me and they said, hey, so-and-so recommended you. And I thought, well, they didn't take my course. But, you know, we connected like you were just talking about. We communicated and they said, yeah, he's really good at communicating. And that's the whole digital world and the back channel thing that's so huge is I get people all the time say, boy, he gets back to, to me so quickly. You know, and I think the technology allows that even if you're really busy. Right. Or you can have certain team members in place to be able to have that quicker response time, uh, which, yeah. which is always going to be positive. Um, one thing I remember when I was growing up and going to school, some some of my favorite teachers or classes were ones where there was a lot of interaction between myself and the other students. And I think in the online space, it's quite similar. We seem to enjoy not just the content that we get, but the communities we're involved with too. How do you balance that community aspect of learning with the idea of just managing such a thing? Because I think that's 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 the big thing. Like everybody wants a community in their course, but it's a, it's a very difficult thing to manage. I've tried to do one before and it just, it, it fell flat. And, you know, if you have one of these forums available, it's gonna, it's if it's active, that's great. It's gonna elevate everything that you do and people are gonna enjoy it more. If you have a recurring payment, for example, to stay in there, people are going to pay because they wanna be a part of that community. But it's also very difficult to manage. So do you have any advice or tips or solutions for, or at least something to think about for you know the community building aspect of, of learning? Yeah, I think one thing, I, I may have mentioned this earlier, I think you have to give people a lot of channels. 
which can get busy for you because then you have mm-hmm. to be involved in all those channels. And I think w- one of the things you want to do in, in that case is to find a, a tool that helps you manage your different channels. And, and there's tons of those. Those are becoming more and more popular now. Uh, you know, like I, I use Buffer and, and Buffer is such a huge tool for me because it allows me to take all of my social networks and put them on one screen. Mm-hmm. And, and then I can communicate with people uh, in a single click. I can type one message and it'll go to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, and a variety of other places, Pinterest. And you send that one message and if someone is involved in your community on Pinterest but maybe not Twitter, they're still getting that message. And I think tools like that really help. Uh, because you can't tell someone, and I've done this in the past, so this is speaking from experience. You know, I, I used to be very rigid about how I was going to work. And I said, this is our platform. This is where we're going to be. And this is where you have to be. And I started losing people. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, it just struck me that we're in this evolving world of, of channels, you know, social channels, back channels, that people like different things. And that was an epiphany for me. It helped me realize that, you know, you have to give people what you want in the digital or what they want in the digital world. And that's made a big difference. You're you're absolutely right. People have their own preferred way of absorbing content. That's why I think Smart Passive Income has become so great over the years is because it's not just blog content anymore. It expanded out onto YouTube. It expanded out onto podcast episodes and they cross promote each other. And yes, there are people who will take content from each of those channels, but there's also ones that only have their own preferred way to either listen or watch or read. And I wouldn't have been able to reach them otherwise. So I think you're absolutely right there in terms of sort of content producer communicating to the content consumer. But when it's content consumers communicating with each other, I think that that those channels, if they're available, have to be very specific on one platform. For example, if you're going to have a community where your your people are going to talk to each other, um, it, it would be, for example, a Facebook group. Uh, that's the one that sort of people today are using to add value to their own courses is, hey, we're going to have this Facebook community. And I think it's Facebook currently just because that's where everybody is. Communication is easy. But then, you know, my buddy Chris Ducker uh, who runs youpreneur.com, he has a great forum and a great community there. And he's chosen to have primarily, at least at this point in time, a lot of his communication there. But I also know it's very difficult. And so I guess what I'm trying to say here is it's kind of going to take a little bit of experimentation depending on who your audience is. Am I right? Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing, Pat, is I think that you have to, once your audience is established, you know, if you're in a smaller group, if you're talking about dealing with people uh, that you're, moving a product out to, you're sending content out to, and it's one specific group. We're not talking about hundreds of thousands. I think it's important to, when you're deciding on that one single place where the group is going to meet, to come to an agreement as much as possible. And for smaller groups, you know, if you're doing a a mastermind group, uh, you know, if you have, I don't know, 50 or 100 people in there, I think it's a lot easier to communicate with them and in the beginning to say, okay, mate, we're going to meet in this one place or I'm going to put out a Google form or something and we're going to decide what's the best way for us to communicate and to collaborate. Mm-hmm. Because again, and, and I think you're right about Facebook, you know, mo- most people are there. So you can say, we're going to start this Facebook group. 
but I've had groups like that. You know, I'm in, I have a, a, a very large Facebook group it's called Teachers Throwing Out Grades, and we talk all about assessment. And that, that was one of my first big ventures in the social media world as mm-hmm. an educator. And uh, there's over 6,000 members in this group globally. And they're just people who want to talk about assessment, you know. And um, that at first that group was really small. And we, I said, you know, is this the place you want to be? And, uh, you know, that that seemed to be what everyone wanted. They said, yeah, this is where I want to be. I like Facebook. But now I've I've started other groups and they said, you know, let's move this over to Voxer. And, it, you know, you can do that up to about 100 people, I think, on Voxer with some success. Oh, I didn't realize that. But once it once it gets bigger than that, I'm in a, a group that has about 160 people and, and it can get really noisy. <laughs> so but, you know, and especially for smaller groups, it's it's great because, you know, we talked about Voxer earlier. You've got that voice aspect where you can hear people's passion and you can, you know, it, you can think about what you want to say. You can say it and then they can listen later and then they can think about their response. So I think that's a really cool platform, too. But the key is what do people want to do? Where do they want to go? Mm-hmm. And then also the last thing I want to mention about communities, forums is – setting the expectation for what your involvement is. I've made this mistake before where I've set up a forum or a community and I think people expected me to be there and answer every single question when I had different expectations and so those expectations they had weren't met and you know, there were disagreements, people felt let down. You definitely don't want that to happen. I think if you're very honest with people and you say, hey, I'm gonna be in here so-and-so during the week, maybe an hour a day or maybe just a couple hours a week, then people are gonna be okay with that if you're not there the rest of the time. Um, But it's when those expectations are not met where things can kind of go bad for your community. You definitely don't want that that to happen. So I just wanted to share that through through my own experience to make sure you set those expectations. Um, Here's a a kind of a loaded question for you, Mark. Um, (laughs) Somebody who's putting a course together or some sort of, teaching on a maybe a blog post series or a series of YouTube videos. What's the perfect way to teach? What do people respond best to? Boy, you, you said loaded question. You weren't kidding. Yeah. Are you? Well, at least I set you up for it. I didn't just <laughs> come out of nowhere. Well, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that I'll tell you, that's a, that's a really tough one. The best way to teach. Is that, is that, yep. Did I put it in a nutshell there? Sure. The best way to teach. Um, how do you get students to learn the content that you have in your brain best? Well, I, I'll tell you the way that I found over a lot of years that worked best for me. And, and I know some educators, I mean, if educators listen to this, they might immediately push back and go, no, that's not right. But for me, and it took me a long time to realize this, what worked best was really getting out of kids' way. And, you know, I, I think that that's really hard in a traditional school. If you're talking about the K-12 world, mm-hmm. that's really, really hard to do. If you're talking even about college, it's really hard to do because, you know, what do professors do? They typically stand in front of a group and lecture. And, and unfortunately, a lot of teachers in the, the K-12 world continue that method as well. And uh, it took me a long time to figure it out. But and, and there's so much control that you're giving away. But what worked for me, you, you use the phrase, you know, how do you get – the, the, what's in your head to them or get them to learn what's in your head, which I, I love the way you say that. And what I learned is if I took a concept that I wanted my kids to learn and I put it up on a board, whether it was a blackboard or an interactive whiteboard, mm-hmm. and I said, I need you to learn this today and, uh, and I'm going to let you learn it any way you want to. 
that ultimately grew into this sort of messy, chaotic environment that in the end uh, brought far more results than if I stood in front of the group and disseminated the information and hoped that they would, you know, that it would somehow get into their brains. And that's the old school method. When you let, and what happens is kids and adults, they start to collaborate. You know, even adults are, if you, if you walk into a conference, you know, and I know you've, you've been in, done tons of these things. You know, if you go in front of a large group in a conference and you, you ask the audience to do something, you know, their first reaction is sort of that pause, just like kids, you know, they'll look at each other and go, okay, what do we do? But I don't know all these people, but you know, once you get people comfortable and say, it's okay to make mistakes, they'll start interacting and they'll pull from each other. And that's really an amazing thing. So mm-hmm. what, what happens is you got to move out of the way. You have to be more of a guide, more of a coach than a teacher or an instructor. To me, that's the best way to teach is to just dangle a concept or a skill in front of your audience and say, here are some ways you can find it. Now go find it and help each other and ask questions. And, and that really turns into something beautiful. I know from my own experience, it, great answer, Mark. Thank you for that. Sorry to put you on the spot there. But um, <laughs> in my experience, in terms of how I've been educated best, it's always been a, you know, you guide me, you point me in the right direction, but then let me go. And I think I'm trying to adopt that as a parent as well. My son is in STEM school. That's how they teach. And I've seen massive results with him and how he's been able to teach himself things, which is amazing. So I'm very blessed for that. But I think you're right. And Asking questions, paying attention, and listening is going to help you best. I think a lot of us who create online courses, we go through the motions of wanting to help, and we put out the content that is going to help. And a lot of times, we just think that when we go through the launch process and we sell those courses or we sell access to those courses, we think that's that's it. And it's kind of on that person's responsibility to follow through. And I think you know we still have to continue to work with people or at least survey or keep track. Like you said, you use Kajabi. I know there's a lot of other tools out there who that could help us keep track of where people are at. I think I think it's our responsibility as content creators to to do that if we truly want to help people in the best way possible. That's been the big debate that I've been talking about in a lot of my mastermind groups and just uh, internally in my own head is, you know, how far do you go to help somebody after you've given them that content that they need? Because shouldn't that be enough? And I I don't think that's enough. I think there should be a little bit more. Um, I don't know if you have any response to that, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud, Mark. Well, no, I, I do. I, I think that, you know, you're talking about iteration too. And and this goes back to a little bit to my K-12 world. And then, you know, one of our most popular books in the Hack Learning series is called Hacking Assessment. And it's all about throwing out traditional grades, you know, and people say, well, how does that work? And one of the most important words in there is iteration. You say, well, people are going to make mistakes. We have to give them a chance to make mistakes and then we have to help them. And, and that whole path to the mistake and sort of jumping that hurdle and making another mistake and jumping that hurdle, that's what leads to mastery. And I think when you're talking about the online course and like you just said it, the, the old thinking is I'll put the information there. They can come get it and that should be enough. It really isn't because no matter what level the learner is, you know, whether it's a kid or a high school kid or a college kid or an adult that we're sending our courses out to, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to struggle and the interaction has to be there. And that sort of comes back to your whole thing about, you know, how do you manage your time and all that. Mm-hmm. But, and, and that's all sort of a, the fascinating part about it is we, we have to look at all of the, 
the um, facets of it and the, the layers of this onion and say what's involved to make it the best that it can be. And I think iteration and collaboration are key. I love it. This is going to be a great uh, topic of discussion in the comments section here of this blog post and podcast episode. I think I want to encourage everybody to come over and talk about what you think about education, what about what Mark said, about what I said, and see if we can add to this, this discussion. I think it's our job as content creators to figure out how we can best teach our students. And so I'd love to have you join in on that conversation. Mark, thanks again for coming on and sharing uh, information here. Super fascinating. And again, if you want to give a shout out or a, a link to where people can go find out more about you, that'd be fantastic. Oh uh, yeah. It's all about hack learning, uh, hacklearning.org. Everything is there. That's sort of the host for hack learning. So there's, there's links to books, the blog, the podcast, the team, and there, there's really incredible, educators there and they're not just for the k-12 world they've got amazing stuff for all learners and i'm on twitter all the time at mark barnes 19 that's the the best place really to connect so i um, love to hear from people awesome so the, again that's mark barnes 19 on twitter uh give him a shout and, and let him know what you think and uh, mark thanks again for your time we appreciate you and uh, i feel like i could talk to you forever about education because that's something i'm very very big on right now with my son being six and in stem school i i want to make some changes in this world in education too. That's that's sort of my five, 10 year goal. So uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Sounds great. I'd love to. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Mark. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mark Barnes. Again, you can find him at hacklearning.org. His Twitter handle is markbarnes19. And uh, just fantastic conversation, Mark. Thank you for coming on and sharing everything with us today. As always, you can get the show notes on the blog at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 224. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 224. I hope you've been enjoying the free podcast content here. I'm really excited because it's one of my favorite things to do, and I know a lot of you have already taken action from the content that you've listened to on the podcast. And if that's you, congratulations. Just keep going, please. It's one of my favorite things to see. But I also know a lot of you, and a lot of you have been telling me that you've been wanting more. You've been wanting additional information, some accountability, some hand-holding along the way. And so depending on what it is that you're looking for, what I would recommend is actually go to smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. You'll see the courses that I'm offering there that are paid courses, but they're there to help walk you through certain processes. Depending on what problem you have or what issue or what thing you're trying to solve, go there, check it out. You can see if there's a course available for you and where you're at in your business right now, whether you're just getting started and, and you just want to make sure you have all the right things in place before you actually devote a lot of time and effort into something. There's a course for you there. For those of you looking to get started with a podcast, there's stuff for you there. And there's going to be more courses there in the future. And how do I come up with those ideas for the courses? They come directly from you. So thank you for all telling me how I can help you better. And if you have ideas for more courses that I can create for you, just hit me up on Twitter at Pat Flynn. Let me know or uh, use my contact page on smartpassiveincome.com. But again, check out and see what's available, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. That will be continually added to over time. So check it out. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. And uh, just so you know, next week's episode is going to be really special. I'm bringing on a few different guests. Uh, two of them you've heard from before in, in way back episodes and one person who you've never heard here on the podcast and that is my family. So you're gonna hear from my kids who have been on the show, I mean, not as a guest, but really as just little inserts here and there. You hear their young baby voices and they've grown up since then. Uh, but you're also gonna hear from my wife, uh, April, and that'll be really interesting. So look forward for that one. That one's episode 225 coming out next week. And uh, yeah. It's gonna be a fun one. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and keep uh, keep doing what you're doing because you're helping to make change in this world. 
Keep it up. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.